Welcome to Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media. And it's a pretty safe bet you've noticed that we've had some pretty weird weather, especially rainstorms that might rival the Bible. So last month, we talked with Dr. Philip Arkin, a meteorologist with the Earth System Sciences Interdisciplinary Center at the University of Maryland. He calls himself a fan of weather. It's been a rainy year this year, hasn't it? It's been a very rainy year. I'm sure you saw in the, in the news that we've had the uh, largest total rainfall for 12-month period for a number of months running now. The year 2018 at a lot of the local airports was the rainiest year since we started making measurements. And uh, it apparently started really raining harder than average around May or June of last year. The first few months were not as extreme. And so the 12-month period that ended at the end of April was extremely rainy. The end of May was extremely rainy. And I haven't seen the data for the 12-month period that ended at the end of June, but I bet that was about the rainiest such 12-month period ever. So it's been wet, no question about it. So what's going on? Well, the, the weather is like this. And so that's, that's not a very satisfactory way to look at it sometimes, but there's really, you make measurements of various sorts. And so over periods of time, you look at the history of those measurements and you're going to find records. I mean, that's the nature of record keeping. It's always going to sooner or later be the warmest day ever, the wettest day ever, and so on. There is a little bit of climate variability built into those records. And so you'll see a reflection of things like El Nino in the records. And uh, we're certainly beginning to see a reflection of climate change, global warming showing up in some of our records, especially the temperature records. But the, the fact that we had our rainiest 12-month period ever is more chance, more random fluctuation than it is anything else. You know, there's not one specific event we can point to and say, well, it's because of that. It's a combination of things like the position of the jet stream. We've had a very sort of jet stream pattern for a long time now that's been very conducive to heavy rain events in the Washington area. And, and in fact, over a lot of the United States, the whole country was relatively wet uh, over the past year and a half or so. In a lot of ways, that's good because we'd had some areas that were experiencing severe drought. and a lot of those areas, the drought's gone away. Unfortunately, of course, when you get a lot of rain, some places get floods too. And so now we're, you know, nationally, we're experiencing areas that are flooded. The D.C. area, while it had an awful lot of rain, has not had nearly the problem with flooding that we've seen in the Midwest, for example, where they've had a lot of trouble being unable to plant crops because the fields are too wet and so on. And the Mississippi's been flooding for some time. Despite the, uh, the heavy rain we've been getting and some of the extreme flash flooding, our overall hydrological situation isn't really all that bad compared to some folks. But, you know, the background, we did have an El Nino year over the past year. It's over now. And there is a tendency for a little more rain or precipitation. Sometimes it's snow in the wintertime during a, an El Nino event. But it's not always or not even often a record year that 
by itself doesn't tend to lead to record precipitation. And last summer, when it started raining hard, it really wasn't yet a factor. And there wasn't anything else that we could point to and say, well, this is it. You know, we seem to be um, right in the sweet spot where the storms came. We had a lot of heavy rain events, and they occurred frequently, just more than they normally do. But that's the nature of weather. Uh, A lot of of what goes on over the course of a year is just random fluctuations of the weather. And and sometimes it adds up to a very wet or very dry or warm or cold year. Uh, Before we get too much farther, just in case anybody is unfamiliar, and I have to admit I'm one of them, what exactly constitutes an El Nino and it's, it's, was it La Nina as the uh, companion? What what, what exactly do they constitute? Sure. Well, it's really a uh, tropical Pacific phenomenon, but it has impacts in a lot of the world. So the, an El Nino event is an occurrence of much warmer than normal ocean surface temperatures in the central and eastern Pacific Ocean. And La Nina event tends to be sort of the opposite. It's the temperatures there are a little bit colder than normal. And so since the tropics You have a lot of moisture in the atmosphere always in the tropics. And if you raise the ocean temperature, you tend to get more precipitation. That leads to deep convection, and that has an impact on the jet streams. And so you'll you'll experience in whatever hemisphere is in the winter season. So in in the northern hemisphere winter, December, January, February, you tend to get a very different pattern of jet streams than you would in an average year. So El Nino, in particular, you get stronger jets into the west coast of the U.S., especially California, and they tend to carry storminess. And so you get more rain in California, particularly in Southern California, as well as in the desert Southwest, so Arizona and into New Mexico. And then that same jet pattern extends across North America and tends to lead to more rainfall, more raining systems in the Gulf Coast of the U.S. and across Florida, and then often up the East Coast. And I was actually paying attention to that part of it during the past winter, and it wasn't really a a very unusual Nino event, but it was sort of typical of those. We didn't have a lot of cold air, so most of that precipitation fell as rain rather than snow. But it was a little more a little more rain than you would expect in an average year, and some of that at least is associated with the El Nino. When it's a La Nina, the really warm ocean temperatures tend to be further west in the tropical Pacific over Indonesia, and the central and eastern Pacific are cooler than the average. And so the strongest jet streams are further west. And the, the impact on weather over the U.S. is not as predictable. Uh, it doesn't tend to have a very strong signal, is what we would say. So it's easier to predict an outcome if it's an El Nino event than it is if it's a La Nina event. There are some signals. And... When the Weather Service makes their monthly and seasonal forecast, they take account of those. But the strongest signal is during El Nino events, which you know we also call warm episodes because of the warm temperatures in the eastern Pacific. Are El Ninos and La Ninas, are they 
Are they on a cycle that's predictable? So they're not periodic. They are, you know, the, the jargon that we use is they're oscillatory. So they, they tend to go back and forth and alternate between El Nino and La Nina, but they don't do it on a really regular cycle. So you could have a year between an El Nino event and a La Nina event, or you could have three or four years. They do tend to be fairly regular in the time of year they occur, and people take advantage of that sometimes and, and say, well, they're sort of connected to the annual cycle. So impacts on the U.S., for example, are much stronger in our winter season than the rest of the year. But if you've had an El Nino event, then you don't know for sure when the next La Nina might occur. It, it would be expected sometime in the few years after. It's rare that you go, say, 10 years without anything. And it's not unheard of to have two El Nino events in a row. It's not the most common outcome, but it does occasionally happen. As I say, the jargon is they're oscillatory. It's an oscillation, but it's not a periodic one the way the, the annual cycle is or the diurnal cycle. You know, every day it gets light and it gets hot, and then at night it cools off, it gets dark, and that's nice and regular. El Nino events are not not that regular. Early on, you you mentioned climate change, but I think as in relation to temperature, is there a uh, are we going through a just a typical wet period, or is this another manifestation of climate change? That's harder to say, and it's it's slightly controversial there. There are some data that show that heavy rainfall events, certainly in the U.S., where we have good good data, good records going back over 100 years, we seem to be having more, more frequent and heavier heavy rain events than we did, say, 50 or 100 years ago. The problem is that we've always had heavy rain events, you know, and any period of time that we have records for. So it's it's not easy to sort of prove that that's occurring. You know, it's not like if you look at a temperature time series in most of the world, you can see an increase. But in precipitation, it's a lot harder to see that increase. So if you look at like rain over the United States as a whole or over the world as a whole, it's a much smaller change and much harder well, it's harder to measure in the first place because precipitation is just harder to measure, period. You know, we have rain gauges, but they measure only in a very small area, obviously. And then we have other information from radars and satellites, but we have to work out ways of connecting what those things measure to the actual rainfall. And there's sort of, by necessity, there's a statistical component to that. So we do think that heavy rain events, uh, what's the best way to put it? People, people try to be careful about the language they use on this sort of thing. We think that heavy rain events are becoming a little more frequent and a little heavier, but it's not yet to the, to the state where we can say, yeah, there's going to be 20% more rain. And we, we just can't say things like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in temperature, we can say things like, well, in the last 100 years, the average global temperature has gone up by 
let's say one degree Celsius, or you know, it's it's some number around there, and we have pretty robust data, and we could put error bars on it and say with some confidence that that's you know that's the global mean change, and we look can look at smaller regions and say, for example, that the Arctic has warmed up more than that. That's not a thing we could do yet with precipitation, but individual events there does seem to be some signal. And, and it's pretty, I, I guess I should go on and mention that physically we expect that because when the ocean surface warms up, you get more evaporation and you get more water vapor in the atmosphere in those areas. And so with more water vapor present, any storm that forms has the opportunity to rain more than it would if there was less water vapor. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a logical connection. And we feel comfortable saying, well, that's not unlikely. You know, that's a thing we expect to see. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's, you know, a, any component of that can explain the amount of rain we had in the past year. Not really. You know, we had, you know, our, our rain during the 2018, first part of 2019 was oh, 75% to 100% more than the average over the last say 30 years. And that's far bigger, that's a far bigger increase than the amount of climate change we would expect. And so we're just as likely to have a very dry year sometime in the next several years. Mm-hmm. When you look at relatively small areas like the DC area, and you look at the, the difference from the long-term average, most of what you see is what we call random or sampling fluctuation. It's just that's the way weather behaves. Mm-hmm. Temperature is pretty well behaved, and you don't get, you know, 50% warmer than average. Remember that a temperature of 70 degrees is an actual above absolute zero is a much larger number. And if it went up by 50%, we'd all be dead. Precipitation can double, and, you know, we're okay. <laughs> it's just a little wetter. Right. So, you know, we're not going to see twice as much rain in the future very often, if ever. That was just a really unusual occurrence. Mm -hmm. So this storm on July 8th was actually kind of unusual in the way it was formed, correct? Let's see, July 8th, which day was that? That would have been a Monday. That's the Monday? Yeah, and we we, caused a lot of flooding here in Montgomery County. Yeah, 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 I was driving to work in that. It was quite remarkable, and it's an example of the sort of thing that you know, these things happen, but they're relatively small scale. So if you looked at the rainfall totals afterwards, especially the ones that used the radar, what you saw was a streak of extremely heavy amounts kind of right down the 270 corridor, just just to the west of 270. So if you were like I was driving from Bethesda to the university, and by the time I got to the university, it was, you know, it was raining, but it wasn't raining anything like as hard as it did back in Bethesda. And it was a very, you know, the, the Capital Weather Gang did a very nice sort of event summary, which you may have seen from a meteorological point of view. And I was fascinated watching the weather, the radar pattern. So the radar shows the precipitation at sort of five minute intervals on a very fine scale. And you can actually see how the winds are blowing, you can see, and in that particular case, there was a, an impulse, sort of a 
some spin in the atmosphere that was moving down in that area, sort of down 270, down the Potomac River. And then to the east, we had winds blowing from the east. And the whole atmosphere was very, very moist. And so the winds from the east were actually carrying rain. It was raining there, but it was blowing right into the system that was moving down from the northwest. And so you had this convergence of precipitating elements. And the atmosphere was just so wet that you had tremendous amounts of rain falling out. And there's, I don't have access to the detailed observations that would allow me to sort of analyze exactly what was going on. But when you get air in the low levels of the atmosphere sort of blowing in towards the same point, you get convergence. And that air has to rise because it has to go somewhere and it can't go underground. And as it moves, goes up in the atmosphere, it cools, and the, the water vapor condenses, you get raindrops forming, and it was a, a warm and saturated atmosphere up to a pretty high altitude, 15,000 feet or so. And so you had a tremendous amount of actual liquid water in that column that rained out because once the raindrops get big enough, so it was an extraordinary system, and it produced extraordinary rainfall amounts, but not unheard of rainfall amounts. Mm-hmm. It's just that so much rain fell in such a short period that all the drainages were overwhelmed, and the water couldn't run off quickly enough, so you had flooding. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of flash flooding. That's what happens. I won't bore you with it, but I can think of several other occasions in the time I've lived in the D.C. area where we had areas that had similar situations. Some of them were simply summer thunderstorms. Some of them were other sorts of weather events. But if you get several inches of rain in a very short time, there's really no surface that can keep from flooding. And you're going to get streets flooding and storm drains will be filled up and and overwhelmed. You know, within a short time, it's all gone again. But uh, while it's there, it can be quite an event dangerous if you're not careful right so does any of this information that you've got for like the last you know year plus of extraordinary rain extraordinary wetness around here is it does that pose any sort of indication of what's going to happen in terms of hurricanes later on this summer no um as far as i know there's no connection at all uh hurricanes i mean there's a whole bunch of factors i'm not a hurricane expert but i do read about it and pay attention The formation of hurricanes is linked to both the sea surface temperature and the upper winds in the tropics. So in the in the Atlantic tropics and subtropics, certain kinds of behavior will reduce the number of hurricanes, others will increase it. And what happens to the hurricanes once they form really depends very much on the environment they form in. And so you're really you know, you can have a year with very few substantial hurricanes, and then you have just one storm that forms at a time when it happens to be over very warm water and it happens to be in a very conducive atmospheric state, and you get a really strong hurricane. And if that happens to hit a coastline in a vulnerable area, you can have tremendous damage. We had Hurricane Michael, was it, last year, I think, in Florida, the Florida Panhandle that caused a lot of damage. Hurricanes are large storms compared to tornadoes, but they're pretty small compared to, you know, wintertime storms. 
And so the amount of the extent of damage from any given storm is a little bit narrow. The rainfall from storms is sort of a different proposition. And it depends a lot on, for example, was it, I think it was Florence that came in in the Carolinas and dumped a huge amount of rain. And the reason it did is because it got to the coast and simply stalled. And so the rain, all the hurricanes have a lot of rain, but if, as long as they're moving, no one place gets a huge amount. But if the storm slows down and sort of sits nearly in the same place for a while, then they get a lot. And uh, that's happened a couple of times recently. Harvey was one, and this one in the Carolinas was another. And there have been people who've speculated that maybe global warming will will see more events of that sort, but it's really speculation, uh, in my opinion, at this stage. You know, these storms, we don't know really how global warming is going to affect atmospheric circulation patterns in any detail. And these storms that sort of form and stall over near coastlines and drop a lot of rain, you know, that situation where details of how the atmospheric circulation is behaving. And so trying to make a link between changes that are related to global warming and events like that is, I'm not comfortable trying to do that. You'll find people that are willing to go out on a limb and say, yes, we expect to see that and they expect to see more of them. But the only part of that that I'm willing to go along with is since there is more moisture, more water vapor in the atmosphere, because the ocean is warmer everywhere, rainfall totals will be a little bit higher. But the kinds of rainfall totals we saw from some of those storms, those were much, much higher. And most of that's due to the specific circumstances that affected those storms. Thank you, Dr. Arkin. This has been Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media, and our engineer was Carolyn Roskowskis. Join us next time. 